I do want to say as we continue this time of epiphany that we are reminded again that this is the time of evangelism or as we say, the time of go tell it on the mountain. That old spiritual that we love to sing during epiphany. And yet we know the it that we go and tell is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a song that's being sung in our modern services and also this morning at 8.15 and before uh, this sermon series is over will be sung here. The song's name is Outsiders, which is No Outsiders. That's the name of our, um, of our sermon series. And the song says there are no outsiders and the cross is the open door. It reminds me of my mentor who loved the epiphany season. We'd always have an epiphany party on staff at First Church Houston. And Bill Henson knew how busy we were during Christmas. So we'd come together uh, at epiphany time. And, and we'd look forward at what evangelism was all about. And Bill used to love to say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In other words, the, the, the cross opens the door where there are no outsiders to God's love. This is the season that we, um, that we contemplate what it means to be the church and, and, and how we are called to extend God's love to a world in need. So epiphany is the time that we hear a sermon, not so much as to what this sermon does for me or means to me, but how this sermon causes me to think about others who don't know Christ, whom I'm called to share with. And today I want to entitle the sermon, Master Conducting. I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles this morning to the first letter of, to the Corinthians. And in this first letter to the Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we'll begin reading this morning with the fourth verse. And I'm going to say a word as I uh, read this text with you. I want to first say that the author of the letter to the Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. And if you think about it, a third of our New Testament, a third of our most sacred writing was written by Paul to churches uh, as a pastor. And to these churches, he was dealing with conflicts within the church. So Paul was constantly naming conflicts and, and what he hoped that the congregation would do. But he was also constantly uplifting unity. And the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians is that great unity chapter where he describes the body of Christ and how we are different parts of the same body. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. 
Before I read further, I want to say to all of us, all of us are gifted by God. God did not leave anyone without gifts. The issue for the church today is to name our gifts. It may not have made this spiritual gifts listing, but each and every one of us have gifts that God intends to use as we open ourselves to the sharing of these gifts. Let's continue. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A few days ago, I participated in, with, with many of you in a memorial service for Rosie Benton. Rosie was um, the wife of, of Don Benton, who was the pastor here, is our pastor emeritus. And for 18 years, Rosie and Don Benton they were part of this church in a leadership capacity as pastors. Rosie was an accomplished musician. And I noticed at her service the other day that we sang a variety of music. We started the service off with How Great Thou Art. And then we sang that, um, that, that old gospel, When We All Get to Heaven, What a Day of Rejoicing That Will Be. And then a soloist sang a classical anthem in Latin. And then Don's brother, who is kind of a, a cowboy country music player, he played the guitar and sang, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You know, after that service, I told Don, I said, Don, this was such a beautiful service. And I was so moved by the music and all of the variety of music. And our pastor, Don Benton, said this. He said, Rosie loved all types of music. And we want to have a service. We wanted to have a service that reflected her love of all types of music. Now, this is going to come as a shock to some of you. But did you know that not all of us here at Lover's Lane love all kinds of music? You know, I discovered years ago that we, uh, we're not all one size fits all when it comes to music. And uh, actually worship venues and styles. And so here at Lover's Lane we have all kinds of worship styles that feature different kinds of music. Even our African fellowships we have too because music has to be different in one as opposed to the other. And here we have traditional services and we have, um, we have modern services and some like it classical and some like it modern, some like it jazz. We have all kinds of music here because we love all kinds of music here. But I don't know that we have too many Rosie Bentons who love all of the music all of the time. They would be few in number. This morning, I want to say that what 
fascinates me about the music at Lover's Lane is not just the variety, but our conductors. I love to watch Jimmy Emery when he conducts the choir, and particularly when the choir's up here and an orchestra's up here, and Cheryl Sebo's playing the organ, and Jimmy with his little baton can keep all of it going at the same time in beautiful harmony. Don't y'all like that? And I love, go ahead, give him a hand. And Cheryl Sebo, the way she makes the organs in this room, you know, the old organs up here in the towers, and by the way, it needs lots of repair. And the one, and one in the gallery, it can play both organs at the same time. It's such a wonderful room. And Cheryl Sebo, she not only plays the organ, but she, she conducts the ensembles and she directs the bell choirs. And the way she conducts, it's just fantastic. You might as well give her a hand too. And oh, she even got cheers, Jimmy. She got cheers. I didn't hear many cheers earlier. Now, Dee Dee Jones, whom we don't see in here a lot, she's our modern uh, band leader and worship leader. The way she has the band over in Crosswalk, they are such high quality, but they lead us into spiritual worship in such a way. They're praying people. They not only are extremely good at their music presentation, but you can sense how they lead us in worship is just fantastic. And then Emily Fry, who conducts our children. I am amazed when I see her. Whoa, I'm amazed at the way she can conduct children. Not only do children's choirs, they always look cute, don't they? We always love to see them. But our children's choir, they sound so good and they come from so many different cultures. And when they're standing up here singing at her direction, at her conducting, it is a work of art. Now don't clap again, you've already given her one hand. But I do want to say I love our conductors. You know, all of this brings up an experience that I had when I was in the sixth grade in the Chandler Elementary School. Do you want to hear about it? I'm glad you said yes, you were going to anyway. More than 45 years ago, Mrs. Margaret Saunders was our music teacher. And Miss Saunders was strict. She also taught geography. But twice a week, she taught the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth graders music. And, and we came into her music class knowing that we had to listen and we had to obey. She made sure of that. Miss Saunders, she, um, she had the fourth and the fifth graders singing in our choir. But the sixth graders, we got a special treat. We all played a flute, all 29 of us. Now, it wasn't a flute flute, it was a whistle, really, that was on a little um, steel tube, and the tube had six holes in it, and you played the flute, all of us did. If we played a C, then we lifted our fifth finger, and that was a C, and everybody played a C at the same time. And for an E, it was a different finger that you lifted, or maybe two fingers for a particular note. But the point is that the sixth graders, the flute choir, all played every song in unison, one note at a time. It was beautiful. <laughs> and I remember every year we had a performance in the spring of the year. It was the big finale. We had it in the old gymnasium. Our gymnasium was built by the WPA and it had, you know, the iron ore rock in East Texas. And uh, we had a wall around the school. The gymnasium, of course, was built out of that iron ore rock. And inside, 
the gym floor. It smelled just like a gym floor is supposed to smell. You know what I'm talking about, Max? Just like it's supposed to smell. And, and, uh, and the, the bleachers were, were basically step bleachers that were painted uh, battleship gray. And that's where the audience sat. And there were some seats on the gym floor itself. But the choir and the flute choir, we also sat in chairs there on the gym floor. And I remember that particular year, I was a sixth grader, we had an Americana concert. We wore blue pants. Now get this in your mind. And all of us wore white shirts. And all of us had these little derbies, turn of the century derbies on. We had a red, white, and blue ribbon around our derbies. And boy, did we look great. And we sang songs and played songs one note at a time like, Oh, Susanna, Camp Town Races. You're a grand old flag and America the beautiful. But when we got to the point in the concert where we played This Land is Your Land, I was allowed to put down my flute and pick up my guitar. And so with the choir singing and with the flutes playing, I played at a microphone, This Land is Your Land, This Land is My Land. And you know when we got through with that, the whole audience broke into applause. I don't think it was the way I played the guitar that got the response. I think it was the fact that they finally heard one song with one more instrument not playing the same notes. I think that's what did it. But I remember most of all about that sixth grade experience was Miss Margaret Saunders. I got to do her memorial service a few months ago and the way that she could conduct. She not only played the piano, and could somehow keep Alton McKinney from putting a tack in somebody's chair. But she kept the choir going and the flutes going and even me on the guitar going in harmony. That took some doing. I want us to think this morning about the Apostle Paul as a conductor. Not of a church of one note, but of a church of great diversity. Now, I don't know whether or not Paul was musical. You don't either, because there's nowhere that tells us. But I do know that he was a master conductor of sorts. I do know that he was not only a pastor, but he was an evangelist and he was a strategist. And his whole life was committed to how he could bring people to Jesus Christ, to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ that would not only change them, but would change the world. And he started churches in strategic locations like Ephesus and Philippi and Thessaloniki and, and, and here in Corinth, Ephesus and Corinth. And he had his work cut out for him as a pastor because he wasn't there on site all the time. He itinerated. He went to these different uh, congregations, if you will. And Corinth was a very cosmopolitan place. It was said to be kind of like the Piccadilly Circus of the Mediterranean. It was said about Corinth, if you stand in one place long enough, you'll meet everybody in the world. Now, I don't know if that was true. But it was also said about Corinth that it was a rough and rowdy city. That it was a place where immorality did prevail. The ancients used to say about those who were rowdy and unruly, 
You're living just like a Corinthian. And in Corinth, there was this sacred temple of the Greek love goddess Aphrodite's, where at the temple there were a thousand priestess prostitutes. And there it was where Paul led the leader of the synagogue, the Jewish leader of the synagogue to Christ. And therefore those in the synagogue, these Jews came to Christ and there were people coming from all over the world to this seaport city and they were coming to Christ and they were going out and they were sharing Christ. But the ones who stayed there was such a diverse group of people with different views and different uh, cultures and coming from different places and it made for quite, <laughs> quite a church. Paul had his hands full. It was reported to him, and he writes about, that the communion of the Lord was becoming like a drunken party over the wine and the bread being offered, the body and blood of Christ. So Paul had to say, is Christ divided? And Paul had to address the church 2,000 years ago. I'm not talking about yesterday. 2,000 years ago that had formed into a fellowship of cliques. You begin reading in the first part of this letter and you read about Apollos and how Paul said, you know, some say you are of Apollos. And Apollos, we don't know a lot about Apollos, but, you know, maybe he was a bit shallow theologically because he had to be taught some things. Maybe he was more of a progressive theologically than most. And then Peter, of course, the traditionalist of traditionalists, who was one of the apostles. Jesus said, on my rock, I'll build my church. And here was Peter. Some said that they were of Peter. And Paul said, and some say you are of me. And I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you except a couple. He said, the point is that we are not of Apollos or Peter or Paul. We're of Christ. Paul was constantly pointing to Christ. And Paul may have leaned a little bit traditional related to his theology. When it came to reaching people for Christ, he was a progressive in the greatest sense of the word. He said in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, the 22nd and 23rd verses, listen to this. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means... I might save some for Christ. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. For Paul, it was all about how we see the world as a world in need of Christ. It was all about how we see the way God has gifted us and, and to use those gifts to share God's love with those who are in need. You know, I believe Paul today would say to us as this master conductor, looking at all of us with all of our different gifts and skills and abilities, he would say on this epiphany when our, when our focus should be more out there than in here, what he would, he would say to us, do you see the people out there in the audience? Do you see their struggles? Do you see those who struggle with whether or not their children are going to be people of faith? 
Do you see those who struggle with their marriages? Do you see those who struggle with other relationships that, that, that seem to be stressed right now? Do you see those who deal with addictions of one kind or another who are in need of recovery? Do you see those who are sick and who've been diagnosed with, with a challenging illness that they've never faced before? Do you see those who are seeing their financial world or their job becoming a big question mark? Do you see those who are seeking purpose and meaning and finding little hope? You know, I think Paul would say it's time for us to play. To play like this great orchestra that Paul understood that he wasn't the grand conductor, that it was Jesus Christ himself and is Jesus Christ himself who conducts this great orchestra, the church. We are, we are not in a world where people are, are, are looking for a one-note church, even though oftentimes I run into Christians who are looking for a one-note church, who are looking for a church where everybody seems to believe the same thing and who seems to be coming from the same place in life and, 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 and who, who seem to want things so simple and straightforward. Let me tell you something. Finding a church like that is not only hard to do, I don't think it's satisfying for very many for very long because the church was never meant to be a one-note church. Whatever spiritual gifts or talents one brings to Christ's orchestra. We are called to all play at the direction of that great conductor, Jesus. For we know in an orchestra we have different instruments, right? Different instruments that make different sounds. And when those notes are put together, not all the same notes, they form chords. And when we bring all of that together, it, it, it sounds like an image that's very, very familiar to that image that that Paul was laying out about the body of Christ. We can't all be eyes or ears or, 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 or a nose. How would, would the body ever smell if it were all just an eye? And how would the church ever be an orchestra if we all just played the same instrument and the same note? Friends, we are called by the letter to the Corinthians to overread it, to overhear it, and to apply it. When it comes to the complexities of human relationships and working together for the common good, for the sake of Jesus Christ, we must all see that we have an instrument to play, we have a gift to share. And Christ calls us into a world in need. You know what my prayer is for all of us today? Is that through this series, No Outsiders, during this time we call epiphany, during our focus that is on the world, that each and every one of us can commit our gifts. And you know what they are? That you can commit your gifts, your personality, that you will use the gifts that God has given you to bring one person to the saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that too much to ask? 
that all of us will pray, that God will send us to someone, the Holy Spirit will orchestrate it in such a way that we'll know when we're there before this one. We don't need to worry about what to say or what to do. The Holy Spirit will orchestrate all of that. And the most simple invitation that we can make to another is come to our church where the orchestra of Jesus Christ will be heard, the gospel proclaimed, and you may find yourself aware of your gifts and your talents and conscious of the way that God wants to use you to reach another. Let us pray. Lord God, you know the heart of every person in this place. First, make us thankful people that you've given us the gifts that you have given us and that you've called us to share those gifts with others. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you will have us as a congregation as a larger denomination, play in unity just like an orchestra. Not uniformity, but unity. So that, that people can hear above all of the noise of this world that we come together not because we're all the same, but we come together under the direction of the great master conductor, Jesus. Send us this week, O oh Lord, to someone you'd have us share your love with. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege. Amen.